Hey, good evening. Can you believe next week we finish up the book of Ephesians? So let me give you a commercial. Two weeks from tonight, we start a new series in the book of Philippians. One of my favorite books in the Bible. So many verses that we know from Philippians. But here's how we're going to approach Philippians this year. Paul teaches us in this book that you and I need to fight for joy. <laughs> that joy that we can have in God and with God is not something that comes automatically. You and I have to fight for it. And we learn how to fight for joy in this great letter of the book of Philippians. That's why many people do not experience joy in their life as Christians because they're not fighting for joy. So we're going to talk about the book of Philippians from that angle beginning in a couple weeks. By the way, too, before we dive into it tonight, and I'll mention this again on Sunday if I think about it, at this point in my life, I don't always remember things like I used to. If you get an opportunity on Sunday, please thank Scott Beatty and Harry Bailey. They're the ones that did the Barnwood out in the lobby there. Did a really nice job between the lights out there. Um, they've been working on that Monday and Tuesday this week so that it could be done for us tonight. So um, just let them know how much you appreciate it. It's nice to have all this old Barnwood. All of a sudden now it's popular and it's, it's uh, in demand, I guess. So, you know, we're on the cutting edge. You know? <laughs> all right. That's probably the only thing I've ever been on the cutting edge of, can I just tell you? All right, Ephesians chapter 5 tonight. We want to look at the practice of living wisely. Let me take you back a couple weeks, though, and let's go back to chapter 5 at the beginning. I was sharing with us that in this chapter, in order to be imitators of God or followers of God, as he says in chapter 5, verse 1, We've got to live in love. We've got to live as light. And then we also saw last week, we've got to live as wise. Chapter 5, verse 15, Therefore be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And we saw last week that you and I have the ability to live wisely because we have the presence of the Holy Spirit living within us. Therefore, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. And last week we saw that there were four evidences that Paul gave for living wisely. Caring how we live, making the most of our time, understanding and doing what the Lord's will is, and then finally in verse 18, being filled by the Spirit. And we're going to take off on that in just a moment, but I want you to notice something in verses 19 and 20 about the filling of the Spirit tonight and how that ties into wisdom. Notice that when you and I are filled, controlled, primarily influenced by the Spirit, it does two things. Two things. It will affect the way we treat God and it affects the way we treat one another. Notice that in verses 20 and 21. He says, be filled by the Spirit, but then he says, speaking to one another 
in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord. So an evidence of being filled by the Spirit is our worship. But notice our worship is not only vertical, not only Godward, it's horizontal, it's towards each other too. That you and I have the opportunity when we worship to encourage and lift up others by the truth that you and I are singing out and speaking out as we worship the Lord. But then notice also in verse 20, always giving thanks or being grateful, not to God just for God's sake, but to God the Father for who? Each other. Let me ask you, do you do that? Are you thankful to God for your brothers and sisters in Christ? And then he goes on to say another way that the filling of the Spirit makes itself known is that we are willing, verse 21, to yield, which is what the word submit means, to yield to one another, but notice, out of reverence or respect for God or Christ. Again, so the filling of the Spirit here is showing us what it, how it's manifesting itself and how we treat God, what is our respect level, our reverence level for God because if you and I are being controlled and influenced by the Spirit, our reverence and respect for God will continue to go up and our life of worship and our lifestyle of worship will continue to rise if we're filled with the Spirit. But also, at the same time, how we treat each other is also going to be an evidence that we are being filled with the Spirit. We will care about encouraging and exhorting one another and by being in corporate worship so that others can hear us singing to the Lord and worshiping the Lord so that the Lord can use our voices and our presence in that worship service to lift up and encourage and edify our brothers and sisters in Christ. And oh, by the way, Filling with the Spirit will also create in us a gratefulness for our brothers and sisters in Christ because as we worship the Lord, we realize when we do so corporately that, that we're not in this alone, that there are others like-minded like us that believe in the Lord Jesus and worship the Lord Jesus, and there's something, again, very encouraging about that to us. And then if we are filled with the Spirit, we will be willing to yield to one another. That as Christians, it's a back and forth mutual submission and mutual yielding to one another. Now, beginning in chapter 5, verse 18, all the way down through chapter 6, verse 9, which is the passage we're going to look at tonight, now Paul begins to lay out the practice of living wisely. He goes even deeper than he did last week by telling us, well, they care about how they live, they take advantage of every opportunity, they understand what the Lord's will is, and they're filled with the Spirit. Paul's now going to, in a sense, double down on all that and go even further into depth by saying, you and I need to practice living wisely. And that takes us then back to verse 18 because what is the power to live wisely? Again, verse 18, filled with the Spirit. You see, being filled with the Spirit 
gives us the supernatural enablement and empowerment to be able to live wisely. That's why in the context here, in the passage, filled with the Spirit just sort of keeps running through this passage because everything that we're going to talk about goes back to that. A husband can't be the husband he should be. The wife can't be the wife she should be. The parents can't be the parents that they should be. The children can't be the children that they should be. The employee can't be the employee they should be. The employer can't be the employer they should be if they're not filled with the Spirit. Now, obviously, I'm talking to Christians here. But it all flows back to that. That is the power of our life. If we're going to practice living wisely every day, then it always goes back to, I've got to be filled with the Spirit. I cannot do these things in my own power. I cannot navigate the roles and responsibilities that I have in life apart from the leading, guiding, and all of that of the Holy Spirit. So that's the power for the practice of living wisely. But you'll also notice something else in this passage. The permeation. Okay, not only the power to live wisely, verse 18, filled with the Spirit, but the permeation. And obviously that word means it just, the practice of living wisely is to touch everything, every part of our life, everything that we do. That's why in this passage, notice, he's talking to us about our role at church and our member as, a bo as the body of Christ and how we are to navigate that, all right? It, it permeates our church life. But then he also talks to the household, home life, and says, guess what? It's got to permeate us there too. Living wisely, if we're going to have a household of faith, then the spirit has, and the, the, the wisdom of God has got to permeate that household, if you will, and every relationship in it. Oh, in our work life. Because even though we can go over to chapter 6, verse 5, and start talking about slaves, and then verse 9, masters, yeah, you and I don't look at it as a slave-master relationship, but ab absolutely we can apply those verses to employee-employer. Or let me even say it this way. We see permeation not just even in the roles and responsibilities that all of us have no matter what we're talking about, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, whether we're at church, wherever we're at, but whether we are in authority or under authority. Again, doesn't matter. That's why to the wife, submit to the husband, lead lovingly to the to the employee, you know, do what your, what your employer asks you to do. Uh, the employer, you better watch how you treat your employees because you got a master. It doesn't matter. There is permeation in everything. God is basically saying, I want to be a part. I want my wisdom to be a part of everything that you do as a Christian. Whatever your role is, whatever your responsibility is, wherever place you are at the moment, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you're at church, whether you're out in the community, whatever you're doing, and whether you're in authority or under authority, it doesn't matter. Whether you have a leadership role or a follower, it doesn't matter. Wisdom has got to be there and has to guide us. So that, again, that, that's why, you know, passages like this just totally argue against the whole compartmentalization of Christianity. Like, I have my Christian life, I have my spiritual life, I have the sacred part of my life, but then I have the secular part. 
I have the part that I can do what I want to do and do it my way and all of that. No, 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 no. That is not biblical. God is saying my wisdom has to reign in everything that you do. The power is the filling of the Spirit, but my wisdom has to permeate who you are in everything and where you are in everything. Then obviously, as you go down through from verse 22 down through chapter 6, verse 9, you see the principles of wisdom laid out. And we're not going to take the time to go through all the responsibilities of the husband and the wife and the parents and the children and the employee and the employer tonight. But I do want to say this. When you look at these principles, the one thing that sort of leaped off the page to me was that in all of these principles, God is never asking us to live in a way that he himself did not live while he was here on earth. Everything that God is asking us to do here, Christ has done. You know, when he was on earth, what did he do? He, he yielded himself, even though he was the Son of God, he yielded himself to the leading of the Spirit. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. He knows what it's like to do that. So when he asks us in whatever role we're in to yield or to submit, that's something he's done. If he asks us to selflessly sacrifice and lovingly lead and, and you know, be a, be a patient uh, trainer, if you will, and teacher and, and all of this, and to obey your parents. Jesus did that. He did all of these things. So when you and I go down through all of these individual principles, again, whether they're addressed to the, in this specific case, the wife, the husband, the parent, the child, the employer, the employer, Jesus Christ embodied every one of these principles. So God never asks us to do something that he himself was not willing to do while he was here on earth. A fascinating thing. By the way, real quick though, I, I do want to point this out before we move on. For your sake and my sake, notice a couple main things here about the relationship of the church to Christ, which will lead us into the next principle. Notice in verse 23, as he's talking to husbands and wives, he reminds us that Christ is the head of the church. We need to always remember that. I'm not the head, you're not the head, Christ is the head. We're the body. Second, look at verse 25. Christ loved the church. And then, verse 29, Christ feeds the church and takes care of it. And of course, he's saying that these are the things that a husband should do under his leadership as one is walking wisely through life. Now, I say all that because if you go down then to verse 32 of chapter 5, Paul says to the Ephesians even, he says, this mystery, this symbolic significance of the way a wife and husband navigate their relationship 
actually is portraying something much bigger than themselves. So after we've talked about the power of living uh, wisely and the permeation of living wisely and the principles of living wisely, I want to talk about the portrayal of living wisely here in verse 32 of chapter 5 because notice he says, I'm actually speaking with reference to Christ in the church. In other words, Paul is saying to the Christian husband and wife, you realize that what you are portraying is something bigger than yourself. Well, guess what? That principle isn't just addressed to husbands and wives. That principle is addressed to every Christian. It doesn't matter who we are, what our role or responsibility is in this life. Again, going back to, am I a parent or child at this point? Am I an employer employer at this point? Am I in authority? Am I under authority? It doesn't matter. What Paul is saying here is simply this. You realize when you and I live our lives, we are portraying something bigger than ourselves. It always comes back to, in a sense, and I'll use the word portrait here since I use the word portrayal here. You and I, by our life, whether we realize it or not, are painting a picture of Christ to others. Think about that. That's a little on the heavy side, right? But that's exactly what reference to Christ means here. You and I, by the way we live our lives, are portraying Christ to others. Or not, <laughs> I guess you would say. Again, by our wisdom in how we are living life, the practice of living wisely. Before I go into the next one, let me say this. How do I say this? Lord, give me wisdom. Um, there are many Christians today who instead of digging in and truly finding out what God has to say about how to run a household, how to be a husband and wife, how to parent your children, how children should act and all of that, how I should be an employee at my work, how I should be an employer when I have my own business or have others under me, instead of really diving in and finding out what God has to say about it, we go outside to look for answers. Now listen, and that's why I, I'm not saying that as Christians we shouldn't maybe read other books and other, what other people's materials are on it, but, but as long as those books and those materials are all they're doing is expounding what God says in his word. Because if you and I don't do that, here's what we're saying. God, what you have given me to navigate my roles and responsibilities as a husband and wife, as a parent or child, as, as an employer, employer, or any other thing, what you've given me, God, either through the presence of the Holy Spirit or in your word, is not sufficient. I need to go outside to find the answers to be a good this and a, a, and a wise this and all of that. And I just want to say, 
in a very unwise way, that's a bunch of bunk. I know that's not very spiritual or very, you know, intellectual sounding, but what you see even right here in Ephesians chapter 5 is this. God is saying to his people, I've given you everything you need in order to do what I've asked you to do prosperously and successfully. Are you really digging in? It's, it's like, for instance, I'll use this as an example. It's when a, a Christian parent comes to me and they're exasperated about raising their children and, and how to do it. And one of the first questions I would ask them is, have you ever studied and read the book of Proverbs about all the principles God gives to parents about how to, well, no, but I, I've got all these other, other, you know, books. And I'm thinking to myself, so you've bypassed as a parent what God has given you to give you the wisdom to be a great parent, but somehow that's not good enough. I'm going outside, God, because, you know, and I say all that because it goes back to the whole idea of God's sufficiency and the permeation that he gives in everything. It's like God has given us what we need to be able to do it well. The problem isn't that somehow God has held out on us and hasn't given us enough information. It's we really aren't seeking the information that God has given, again, again either in his word or through the leading of his Holy Spirit to be able to do it well. Okay, I had to get that off my chest. Two more. In this passage, you also see the perspective of living wisely. If you go over to chapter 6, verse 5, you will see here, in talking to especially employees at this point, if you want to apply it that way, notice he says... The principle is that what we do out there in the workplace, what we do in the world, and we could even say how we treat each other in the body of Christ and what we do for each other as Christians in the body of Christ, it's never to be about doing it for the person alone. I don't do it for them. I do it for my Lord, and I do it as if they were the Lord. That even takes it a step further. Notice what he says. Slaves, obey your human masters or your human employee, employers with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart. That means motivated by a single purpose, by the way. That's what that phrase means. What's the single purpose that should motivate and inspire how I do what I do? Well, notice the last three words of verse 5 of chapter 6. As to Christ. I don't do it for my employer. I do what I do for Christ and as if I'm doing it for Christ. Notice he doesn't stop there. He says in chapter 6, verse 6, not like those who do their work only when someone is watching, only to keep up appearances, only to like make sure, oh, the boss is watching, I'll be busy. Boss isn't watching, now I'm going to kick my, you know. No. But as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, verse 7, obey, notice, with enthusiasm. 
How, how can I do that? Because he says, you're not really serving people. You're serving the Lord. You're doing it for him, and you're doing it as if you were doing it for him, you see. In fact, this even goes back to tying into the portrayal of living wisely because it's going to reflect on Christ. And again, the permeation of living wisely, it affects every relationship and everything that I do. If you and I even serve the Lord in church and our only motivation is we want the pats on the back from our fellow Christians, we want to make sure that we are appreciated properly by our fellow Christians, you won't serve the Lord very long. Because we as human beings, even if we, you know, care about each other, we'll never give each other probably the, the proper appreciation and admiration that we should get for what we do. But if we're doing it for the Lord, and we know that the Lord is, is being honored by what we do. We know that we are being a good reflection upon him by what we do and that we're being a good witness and having a good testimony and showing respect and reverence for God, which again, this all goes back to, then that's why we do what we do. That's gotta be our primary motivation. And can I say again, that's why so many Christians and so many churches experience uh, seasons of, of ministry, but then they sort of burn out or, uh, or just they run out of, because for many, it's not just the idea that maybe they've taken on too much or the church itself is expecting too much. It may be that they just have a, the wrong motivation and their motivation is, I want to be noticed by others. I want to be appreciated by others. I want to be applauded by others. I want to, you know, all these things. It's like, that's just not going to ever happen at the level that you expect it to or want it to or need it to. So Paul right here cuts through all that and says, no, the perspective that you and I need to have when we're out there in the workplace, working our, you know, hard, putting in a hard day's work, doing an honorable day's work, and nobody says anything and nobody gives any... Remember, you're doing it for the Lord. And you're doing it as if you were doing it for the Lord. That's living wisely. One more thing. Praise. It's praise. Notice he goes on to say in verse 8, because you know that each person, whether slave or free, if he does something good, this will be rewarded by the Lord. Now again, notice that's not our primary motivation is I'm doing this so that I'm rewarded by the Lord. I'm doing it to honor the Lord. I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm doing it as to the Lord. But there is that notion, that truth that God said, but when you live wisely, when you practice living wisely, I will reward you. In fact, just as God builds natural consequences into disobeying him, God actually builds natural 
positive results and blessings and prosperity into obeying him and living wisely. It ha it, it's the fruit, if you will, of, of that, and it's its own reward. And so Paul is saying to the Ephesians and to us, if we start practicing living wisely, we're going to be rewarded. It's not our focus, but it is going to happen because God blesses those who live wisely. In fact, let me go on and read verse 9, and then I want to come back to this and show you another verse. So it says finally then to those in authority, to masters, or in our case to applied employers, treat your employees the same way, giving up the use of threats, because you know that both you and they have the same master in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. Now again, he's talking to Christian employers here. You and I don't always have, you know, the opportunity to work for a Christian employer. But he's warning those that are. If you have people underneath you, you better know that how you treat them, God's watching. And you may be the top dog in that business or the top dog in that corporation, but the top dog is still God. And that's where all of us have to learn to yield and surrender and submit no matter what role or responsibility we have, even if we're the leader. Because again, there really is only one leader, one head, and that's Jesus Christ. The rest of us are simply humble followers, no matter what our role or responsibility is in this life. Now keep that idea about being rewarded by the Lord. I want to share this verse with you. It's a great verse that will encourage you in your Christian service, especially to your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you go over to, cha uh, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6 and verse 10, Notice the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 6, verse 10, for God is not unjust. Notice the writer of Hebrews is basically saying, if God would not reward you for following him and obeying him and living wisely, that he would be unjust? Obviously, God can't be unjust. So he says, God is not unjust so as to forget your work. And then he says, oh, and by the way, I know that it's a work of love. Your work and the love you have demonstrated for his name. Now, don't miss this, though. In having served and continuing to serve in this context, the saints. In other words, it always starts with the house of God. It always starts in how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. Before we get all enamored with, with serving the world out there and how we treat unbelievers and how we treat the world, that's great, and we need to do that well, too. But it always comes back to how do we first treat our brothers? And it's, it's almost like before we get excited about how we treat people outside our own household, let's, let's look at how we treat people in our own household. You see. And basically the writer of Hebrews is saying, God will not forget. And you think about it. In a lifetime, all the opportunities you and I have to choose wisdom and to live wisely and navigating, again, 
not only our church life, but our home life and our work life and whatever interactions we have with, you know, other people at all times, all of it can be done with the wisdom of God and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And God says, I won't forget any of it, you see. Not any of it. So I hope that that will encourage you when we come back then to Ephesians chapter 5 and we look at the practice, if you will, of living wisely. Again, it's power filled with the Spirit. It's permeation. Everything we do, every role we take on, whether we are in authority or under authority, it doesn't matter. Its principles are clearly laid out there in Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6 and obviously so many other places in the Word of God. Its portrayal is always painting a portrait of Christ because it always refers back to something bigger than us. It refers to Christ and his church. Its perspective has to always go back to, I'm not doing this for other people. I'm primarily doing this to honor the Lord, and I'm doing it as if I'm doing it to him, and then knowing that the praise will come from the Lord. In fact, if you go through the Gospels even, and you look at some of the parables that Jesus gives about the end whenever the day of accounting has come and, and his servants stand before him. There are many parables where Jesus will say, you did wisely here. You acted wisely. I, I saw you choose wisdom here. And he commends his servants for doing it and he rewards them. So even in the parables, in the gospels, he's very much encouraging us to live a life of wisdom. To live not as unwise, chapter 5, verse 15 of Ephesians, but to live as wise. Now, next week, since I quit just a couple minutes early, I just want to give you a quick preview of next week. The very final message that Paul gives to the Ephesians is about spiritual warfare. Very interesting. You know, what if, if you knew you had five minutes to talk to somebody and you were going to tell them what is the one thing you wanted to leave hanging in their mind as you guys parted and as you guys left, what would be the one thing you would want to talk to them about? Well, guess what? For Paul, it was spiritual warfare. And I think there's a reason for that. If you look at chapter 6 and you look at verse 12, you will notice that Paul points out, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. I want you to especially note the last three words. In the what? Heavens. Now keep your finger there. Go back to the very first chapter of Ephesians to verse 3. One of the first verses we looked at. Notice where the realm of spiritual blessing is at. Blessed, chapter 1, verse 3, blessed is God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. What's those next three words? In the heavens or in the heavenly realms. Did you note something there? 
the place of battle is the same place as the place of blessing. That's not just coincidence. And that's why you and I have to learn how to handle ourselves when it comes to spiritual warfare. Because as God begins to bless us, there's going to be more and more battles. As God blesses our church, there's going to be more and more battles. Because the place of blessing is also the place where the battlefield is. If you and I start to make advances spiritually, even as an individual Christian, and we start growing, and we start making progress, and we start taking more ground, guess what? More and more battles. Because the place of blessing is the place of battle. And you and I have to learn to navigate the battlefield so that we can continue to march forward in the blessing of God. That's what we're going to talk about next week. I'm actually going to let you out five minutes early tonight. Hey, I'll tell you this. Really cool. I haven't had a chance to even share this with anybody, so you guys are going to be the first ones. Um, so I've, I've thrown out the save the date, November 2nd, the church picnic. Well, I'm going to go way further than that. Our 10th anniversary as a church, something very, very special, is happening next April. In fact, it is Sunday, April the 5th. That is our 10th anniversary as a church. We're really going to celebrate that whole weekend. We're going to have something for our leaders on Saturday, and we're going to have very special Sunday uh, all day. We're going to have something, obviously our morning service, and then we're going to have a night of worship that Sunday night, April the 5th. I want to get that date out there because I know that many people plan trips and vacations and whatever, and I realize not everybody, but I'm hoping that as many people that call the Oasis their church home will block that weekend off and say, I've got to be at the Oasis that weekend. I cannot go out of town. I, I, I can't plan. I've got to be there because we're going to have a very special weekend celebrating what God has done the last 10 years. But I want to share this as well. I was very much impressed of the Lord several weeks ago How was I going to do that? Was I going to speak at our 10th anniversary or was I going to invite somebody else to come in and speak? And, you know, most of the time I'm here and I'm speaking Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday. I, I don't take a lot of time off or whatever. But I clearly heard the Lord say, I want you to sit back that weekend. I want you to ask this person to come and speak. And this person is somebody very special to me. His name is Tim McGregor. He is a pastor back in my hometown. He has a vibrant, growing ministry back there called Lighthouse of Hope Church. And he has agreed to come that weekend and speak to us. And I know Pastor Tim is going to bless your hearts. Um, here's the cool thing about Tim and I. Tim and I have known each other since second grade. We, we went through elementary school, middle school, high. We were on the same Little League baseball team together. I mean, we grew up together. We were as close as any two people. But the cool thing is that neither one of us was living for the Lord during a lot of those years. And God grabbed the whole, as Tim said the other day on the phone, he said, 
Yeah, God grabbed a hold of us two knuckleheads and knocked our heads together and knocked some sense into us. Uh, but I, I am thrilled. I called Tim on Monday, and I extended the invitation. He said he would be honored to come out and speak for our 10th anniversary. So I'm already just really getting excited about that weekend. I hope you'll block that weekend off and get excited about it too. It's just going to be a very special weekend for us to celebrate 10, can you believe it? 10 years. And then I think about like poor Nicole and poor Crystal that have been with me almost 10 years. And then you elders that have been with me all these years and stuff and ministry leaders. So much of our core has been here almost since the very beginning. And many of you have now been with us for, for many, many years and uh, just seen it. And it, it's just, I, I just, I can't wait. I think it's going to just be a very special weekend. So I wanted to let you guys know about, to, see, that's one of the advantages of coming on Wednesday night. You guys get the heads up before anybody else does, you know. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you. <laughs> that we do not have to live our lives without you, without your strength, without your wisdom. That Lord, at every turn of our life, every step of our life, we can navigate our life with your wisdom. We can navigate life having the skill to be able to do, Lord, life the way you designed it to be because we have the Holy Spirit living within us and you have revealed to us in your word all of these tremendous principles of wisdom, of how to do the most practical things, whether it's our work life, whether it's our home life, whether it's our church life, whatever it is, even how to be friends with other people. All of it, God, has been included in your word. And God, we thank you that you have not left us without light. And so I pray tonight, God, that we would be so thankful for that lamp that we have that lights our path, that, that lamp that shows us where we should step and how we should live each and every day so that we don't have to go through life blindly, just bumping into things and running into things and making a, a wreck of things and making a mess of things. But God, we can have your light shining up our path, giving us clarity, giving us certainty, giving us confidence as we live. And I pray, God, that that would be the case not only as a church, not only as families, not only as employers or employees, as parents, as children, but God as fellow Christians, as members of the household of God. Lord, we thank you for all that you've provided for us. And we pray that we would portray Christ and portray the wisdom of Christ to all those around us. Go with us, God. Take us all back to our home safely tonight, we pray, and God, begin to stir within us 
an expectation and an anticipation, an excitement and enthusiasm to be back on Sunday and once again to meet with you and experience you and engage with you and to worship you in this place and to interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, may we even tomorrow live tomorrow in worship of you so that, Lord, our worship on Sunday is just an extension of what our worship will be of you on Thursday, on Friday, and on Saturday. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you for being here. We'll see you next week.